Rick Wimmer. Pastor Jeremy. How are you? Preacher man. Yeah, I I'm, wouldn't say that. I would, because I you preached. Well, you were the man who preached, and you did a, a very good job of it. Well, it's easy to do. When you there can, was edification that happened. You could print You could print anything off the internet. <laughs> so <laughs> The question is, is that what you did? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never do something like that. There's websites you can do that. I know. Yeah, but they don't usually have as good of an outline as you did. When I was when I was desperate on Saturday, I I was no, I wasn't. But no, it was it was. I'm glad I did it, and I'm gonna try to keep it to another 18 years before it happens again. So was it raises the question: Did you preach 18 years ago? No, but the church, you know, got. Yeah. Oh, we're coming up on our 20th anniversary. 19 years ago. 20 We're coming up on 20 coming up years. On 20, 20 years in April, I think. 2000. Yep, that's it. Because it was planted when I graduated high school. 2003. Yeah. You graduated in 2003. Yeah. Wow, you're old. I. Some of our listeners are like, wow, what an infant. Yeah. How do you get that much gray hair in his beard being such an infant? Yes, I... We're all asking it's this from, question. Well, I'll tell you why. Is because I do stupid things like set my alarm for 3 a.m. so I can go walk walk down my street trying to catch a glimpse of the full lunar eclipse The that was going to predict the red wave. Okay. Yes. That's taking place in, in Congress today yeah. at the polls. So I did that. Yeah. Which was stupid. Did- because I went, I looked, I went outside my door and i looked up at my astronomy binoculars and i was like i don't see anything so i walked down my street and then out around the corner and i oh there it is boy that's really anticlimactic and so i was like okay i see where it is i'm gonna walk up back up to the street to a darker spot and look through my binoculars and i lost sight of it i couldn't see it so i went back down the street to the corner and then I saw, oh, there it is. The clouds are going by. And I looked through it. And I could barely see anything. And I took my glasses off. And I'm like, my neighbor's ring is probably alerting the police right yeah. now. that There's some creep in a hoodie and pajama pants with some unidentified package in his arm. It's walking <laughs> in front of our house. And then I had a, it took me a little while to get back to sleep. Yeah. But I felt, if I had a lot of strong feelings. I started speaking in tongues and, and felt very charismatic about the whole thing, actually. That, very moved. Did you? That was my segue. Were you were you performing signs and miracles? <laughs> the, um, no, but the moon will turn to blood. Mm. And so that's how I knew it was the end. Uh, yes. I, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but my, my grandfather was very much into like the blood red moons and whatnot. And He'd always he'd always talk to us about about that and how that all. It is nigh. It is nigh. Such as the end of this introduction. Yeah. As we transition. I love my grandpa. He's a godly man. I've met him. Yeah. He is. He's a great guy. He's a good guy. Anyways, the blood red moons. So all the fields (laughs) did not materialize the way I hoped. Yeah, that's a bummer. I knew it was because I was not singing the right songs. You were not singing the right songs. I didn't sing any songs actually. No, Rick, when you're up at 3 a.m. trying to find a, a lunar eclipse, um, you're probably not singing any songs. I might have if I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> you can want to sing All Creatures of Our God and King is uh, 
talks about the moon, but not last night. But down, speaking of songs, what are we? Moon. Yes, I've been thinking about songs. Yes, you Does have, that have anything you, to do with what we're. You led. You led on Sunday. Oh, that's true. You I led, did do that. You led worship on Sunday, I which forgot. was great. Thank which you. It was great. It was encouraging to me. Um, As your great preaching was encouraging to me. Damn. Don't shake your head. Yeah. So, so today, Rick, we're continuing. <laughs> <laughs> we're continuing these these questions that people have been sending in, which we got another one last week. Did we really? We did. Yes. Oh, you we can tell me what it is. Well. Oh, you were I on the that email. email. That yeah, we need to rephrase yes. the way yeah. it was. Um, so the way it was. <laughs> we we got another question, but the question that we're going to be looking at today was actually the very first question that was sent to us, and it has to do with music. It has to do with music, and particularly, it has to do with seeker-sensitive worship, and churches like Hillsong. Some might call it worship evangelism. Yes. I was given a book in high school when I became the worship leader for our Christian school. Yeah. It's called Worship Evangelism. Well. I didn't read it, but I remember the title. <laughs> so the question is, where does Sun Valley, where does, where does Sun Valley stand on, on seeker-sensitive worship in, in churches like Hillsong? Is it is it wrong to listen to this type of music? Is it wrong to like to personally listen to it? Is it wrong to listen to the music? Is the question. Hmm. Well, you're the music guy at Sun Valley, which means that I probably shouldn't say anything. <clears throat> so, what are your what do you think, man? You would know. Do we have a position on it? Because well, here's the thing is this this question has been asked and reasked and asked again and debated and asked here numerous times. It's been asked to me several times by people. By people. What you know what's what's your view on Hillsong? What's your view on Bethel? What's your view on Jesus culture? What's your view on elevation? You know, all all these churches all the things all the things yeah what do you what do you say to somebody like yeah i say go ask rick no you (laughs) you do not nobody asks me that (laughs) yeah that's because you know their their energy probably runs out they're just like a bunch of red tape yeah yeah (laughs) kind of the worship guy the guy who leads our singing and he he didn't even so what do you say to them because i don't think you say that Uh, no no um you know, we we actually have sung uh, songs from these churches before in our sanctuary. Name one. Revelation song. Oh, really? Is a is a is that a Hillsong? Hillsong song. Oh, I we, introduced that. I know to this church. Well, now I'm. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, we have we sung other songs. Um, we have sung other songs. Can we edit sure. that out? That I that I introduced that. No, no. <laughs> That's staying there, man. So, mm. so we have we have sung songs by these churches. Um, have we ever sung a Bethel song? I do not think so. No, I'm like a hundred percent confident not that we've tenor. not that we've not sung a Bethel song. Not not in my time 
at Sun Valley have we sung a Bethel song. So, Rick, I'm hopping on Amazon Music right now while we're talking to see if anybody that I know and trust has ever done a rendition of Revelation song because I'm having a moment of crisis. And if I could, if Shane and Shane have ever recorded that song, then I will feel somewhat. I don't think they have. Less, uh, but that song, that song lyrically is is actually really good. Hence why we sing it. Michael W. Smith. Michael W. Smith, which we we've. I we've, like him, but I don't. He's, I, unfortunately, he would be in the category if I'm being objective. My nostalgia side. Yeah. I'm not gonna go to him for sound doctrine. Yeah. And and worship theology. Yeah. So. Well. Yeah. There it is. So, uh, is it wrong to listen to this music? Is it wrong to listen? Is it wrong to turn on K-Love and and listen to these songs, Rick? I didn't really answer your question because I'm going to I'm going to pawn it but off. But what to if you. you did? How would you have answered it? Um, is it wrong to listen to it? I don't think necessarily that it's wrong because because I listen to most most of the music that I listen to is actually secular secular music. Me too. Right. Like, I don't really like Christian music that right. much. In f- for the vast majority of the time. Yeah. So so you know the, the majority of the music that I listen to is actually secular music um, because Ooh, it's the S word. It's the S word. Um, talented musicians. Uh, they they are using the gifts that God has given to them, whether they understand it or not. Yeah. Uh, and they are able to create great music, just like great artists are able to create great works of art. Paint. And there is objectivity there. And there and is. that is in God's creative order. Yeah. Uh, Calvin talks about that. Yeah. Um, be- there is an objective standard of beauty because God is beautiful. Right. Um, right. He created music. I mean, I was just studying um, with, uh, with my older two girls in science. Yesterday we were talking about the... Um, the discovery of the law of octaves mm-hmm. in the periodic table, where every eighth element is um, is similar in kind to the eighth before it. So there's an order to even the way that at the elemental level this mm-hmm. universe works by mm-hmm. God's design. Mm-hmm. And I said to the girls, I said, does it seem maybe like God created something of a musical universe? And there's some interesting... Uh, things to be pursued there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't invent that observation. Um, yeah. So the point being, yeah. you know, this isn't a, a universally right or wrong. I mean, for example, that 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 one song of Hill songs that we sing, yes. Revelation song. Yes. We that we there's some really deep doctrine there mm-hmm. in glorious exaltation of Christ. It was taken from Revelation four and five. That whole mm-hmm. song's imagery is taken straight out of Scripture. Yeah. And so would that be wrong to listen to just because it's Hillsong? I don't think so. Yeah, right. Otherwise, we got to change that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. Like, if we're wrong, let's be wrong and own it and right. move on sure. in a better way. Sure. But, yeah, yeah. I didn't know it's Hillsong. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's a, uh, I, I think forgot, it's a good song. I forgot song. the lady's name. Kari Job. Yeah. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's. Yeah. But, um. Anyways. Here's what, let me, before we go further, let me though, on the other hand, point our readers to an article 
um, that actually I would highly recommend. And you can listen to the audio of the article in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's an article off of G3. Uh, G3 Ministries is less well-known than the Gospel Coalition and more solid. Um, it arose around 2013, and um, it stands for Grace, Gospel, Glory. It was started by um, Josh Bice, uh, who was one of the guys um, who I think it was a co-editor of that volume, um, by what standard, that really helped clarify some of this um, social justice confusion that's gone on within like the Gospel Coalition and evangelicalism um, with the Statement for Social Justice, um, that book. Anyways, so this article is called Stop Singing Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus, Culture, and Elevation, and the article is by Scott Aniel. Um, so again, Stop Singing Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus, Culture, and elevation is the name of the article. There's some extremely compelling arguments being made in there. We're not going to regurgitate it because we're going to do, bring our own reflections to the table, but there's going to be some overlap with things that I've been thinking about. I'm sure things that you've been thinking about. And then a couple uh, other angles that, that came up as I was reading that article that or listening to it um, that I think need to really be taken into consideration if we're going to be discerning. Because I think what happens uh, is, is that it's almost... Well, I just think it is less dangerous to listen to an outright non-Christian artist knowing what you're getting than it is to be just ingesting something that is from a Christian artist, especially when it gets into the arena of worship, which is what this conversation is exclusively concerned with, worship. When you're talking about worship, you're talking about how do we approach the living God? I mean, we just spent eight weeks looking at perfections, just a smattering of the perfections of God, getting into how important it is that we be thinking accurately about God. Now, whatever else you may say about it, there, there is on record, and he actually gets into some examples where the leaders of Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation Church um, have gone on record publicly teaching things that are heterodox at best and heretical sometimes even. And if the leaders of those movements are teaching at least some things that are so aberrant theologically um, that that they could be con- some of them could be considered heresy, and you know I don't use that word lightly, then I think we need to ask, what role do we want um, the music that is shaped by the theology of those places to be shaping our thoughts about God? Because there's no two ways about it. What we... Uh, when it comes to especially worship, the music, as much as anything, forms the soul. In fact, the music has a unique role in the formation of the, the worshiper. Uh, scripture's so loaded with worship music. Um, that, I mean, the whole book of Psalms, for example, and we'll get into that and how it contrasts to some of this, to what we see out of, uh, out of these places, especially Bethel and Hillsong. And I'd, I'd have a lot more reservation about Bethel than I would about Hillsong. Right. Uh, and I know because I did some, I did quite a bit of primary source research this past week, um, making the most of my Amazon Prime Music yes, you uh, did. free trial. So I listen came, to some I, Bethel. I came in and I, I heard Hillsong. the music. I heard it. You did. You, you were both, I'm not even going to deny it because I'm right here saying it. I was getting a little concerned that it was going to be used on Sunday morning. <laughs> But no, I told you we, you could pick any five psalms that we would chant, and you didn't do that. So I had to get at the planning center and pick other songs. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, you know, Rick, what you're, I think what you're getting at is, is music is, is more than just the songs that we sing. It's actually a reflection of, of what is being taught within these churches, I think is, is what you're getting at. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Now let me, I, and when it comes to God, because worship music, which is what we're talking about, again, I need to make the context very clear. Um, Worship music is declaring truths about, or not, about God. It should be declaring truths about God. So the question, let me reframe the question that way. Is it okay, or should we be listening to music that explicitly tries to declare truths, or that says it's trying to declare truths about God, when in fact, those truths are not truth at all? And take some truth about God and mix it in with a generous amount of confusion. What's the what's the um, what's the cost benefit analysis on that? Especially if we're listening to it just in the background and we're not being discerning. Now I haven't gone so far as to say this is wrong. You should never do it. Um, I think at a corporate level, I'd make that case. I would make that case unequivocally at a corporate level, except for your odd song here or there, like, for example, Revelation song, because of the fact that it is just really an exaltation of scriptural truth. But by and large, what am I ingesting? Because that has a liturgical function in our lives. Liturgy doesn't begin at, you know, the call to worship on Sunday and end with the benediction. Our lives are... We live liturgical lives, the the order of our schedules, the places we go, the things we ingest, the th- you know, and I'm not coming at it from some sort of uh, fundamentalist. If you're, if you're enjoying anything in the world that's done by non-Christians, you're, um, you are just a, really just a pagan in Christian clothing. That's not at all what I'm saying, because I think that's false. But what I am saying is that we got to be extra careful in what forms our thoughts about God. Because God is not going to be glorified by the, de- the declaration of untruths. Or even truths in an untrue way. Because music embodies theology. It takes our theology and it goes places with it. And if the kind of music that we're worshiping with um, isn't according to the, the way that God reveals in scripture he would be worshipped, we should probably give it a second thought. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah, and 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 um Satan is a roaring lion, as as Peter mentions, uh, but he also works the most damaging way he works within the church is in subtleties. Right. Yeah. It's very, very rarely the the heresy through the front door. Right. Yeah. So, so it's it's most likely not going to come at you, you know, full bore. It, it, you're Almost not gonna, never. It's always going to come, you know, through that back door, and, and you're not going to notice until it rips apart the church. Yeah. Right? Let me let me read Go a ahead. few quotes. I took some took some notes just off of some of the songs that I listened to. Um, so, for the, I will say this though, um, especially when it, with the Bethel music. Um, it is really catchy. Like, I didn't not enjoy listening to it when I was 
um, preparing my, you know, I was preparing for a Sunday seminar one Saturday. I was doing my PowerPoint, and I don't need to really think while I'm doing my PowerPoint. I've already done my study and my notes, right? So it wasn't like I was going to, oops, I accidentally threw that uh, <laughs> into my teaching because I was listening to this. This is really catchy. They know what they're doing, and they've taken the standard um, low bar for Christian music, and they've raised it. Like, it was an enjoyable listening experience. It's uh, it's repetitive. It's beat-driven. Like, they're really heavy emphasis on the drums. And oh, that really it. gets into your mind and your in your soul. Oh. Like, and it does. I'm not being facetious. I'm not either. Yeah, you are. I, I can just, see your head. I... <laughs> it's a facetious head. <laughs> Little drummer boy. Listen, yeah. okay, so one of the concerns I have is it's man-centered. I mean, right. robustly man-centered. The, the The worship we see in Scripture is exalting God. Um, in in the Psalms, I come into it, you know, the me, as I'm wrestling through things that is on a trajectory of exalting God. But like, here's a line: I choose. I still believe. You're never. You've never given up on me because I still believe. And I look at that and I go, well, let's. Okay, well, let's look at that. Um, is the reason God's never given up on me because I still believe? Because at face value, that's what the song says. I, I think it's a chorus, so it's you're saying it many times. But no, that's not true. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Why? Because he began it. Second um, Timothy, I think it's in Second Timothy, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So the fact that we still believe is... Uh, it's not ultimately because I still believe. It's because he has kept me, like we sang on Sunday. He will hold me fast. Um, here's another one. You didn't want heaven without us. Well, the fact that we are going to be in heaven with him, I mean, that's true. He doesn't want heaven without us, but that's not the way that it's being employed in the song. It's being employed with this focus on, you know, we are so valuable to God that he didn't want heaven without us. And it's like, there, heaven was incomplete. And it's like, no, no, it wasn't. You know, like we can't have any smattering of this thought that gets passed around um, Christian circles that God, that God wouldn't be happy without us because it's, that's a direct threat to his aseity and his, um, his triune love that's complete within itself. Um, so the charismatic theology, especially when you get into Bethel music, really forms the backbone. It really forms the backbone. For example, I am quoting now, I have the authority Jesus has given me. When I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. And I go, well, number one, is that true to life? No. Like, unless we radically redefine what a miracle is, there's no denomination or group of Christians who, when they start doing that, miracles start happening. That's just not true, objectively. Uh, it's not true theologically. It's, you know, past the first century of church history. I mean, there's been pockets of people who believe that in the continuation of miraculous gifts. And I'm not saying, are we, Jeremy, are we saying that God doesn't do miracles? No. No. Not at all. We don't, we're not at all saying that. Yeah, we right. fully believe he does. Right. But this idea, I mean... The gifts. When I open my mouth, yeah. things do start breaking out, but they're not miracles. Right. <laughs> Friction, a lot of times, I get in trouble. Um, sometimes we need to redo a podcast. 
but that one really got me. I'm like, miracles start breaking out. Okay. Yeah. How about this one? Jesus, bring new wine out of me mm. in the soil I now surrender. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know. What... <laughs> and it has to do with, Lord, do this because I, the whole focus of that song was, I am surrendering. Mm-hmm. I am doing this. I am doing that. So, Lord, you do your thing because here I am laying sure. out this soil in which you can. Sure. Lord, basically, Lord, you have my permission. Yeah. It, it is really the feel I got from that song. More than the feel. It was the message. Um, here you go. Speaking your name raises the dead. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really personal for Bethel, because I don't know if you remember what happened about a year, maybe a year and a half, two ago. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Um, with the little girl. I think mm-hmm. it was a little girl who died. Um, I think it might have even been one of the staff members. I think so. I think it was like a main, and main what member they do? of the church. They they prayed for like a week or something like that, wasn't it? They held a vigil. Of raising the, raising of the dead. A resurrection vigil. Yeah. And and they were declaring in the name of Jesus that her body's coming up. Yeah. Like this little girl who's dead is going to live. Yeah. We need to believe for that. Yeah. So what do you do what when do you it doesn't think happen? What do you think that happens to someone's faith when oh, completely it, misunderstanding the scriptural truth of the resurrection, they declaratively chant the name of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, well, it would it would wreck my faith because it, it would assume that I didn't have enough faith in order to bring my daughter back to life. Which I've actually heard. Yeah. I've actually heard from people within that movement. I'm not coming at this from... I was not born into Reformed theology. I was not born... I was born into and really discipled into... Well, I wasn't born into charismatic theology, but in my high school all my Bible teachers, and I went to a pretty large uh, Christian high school in the Bay Area, and the people who were discipling me were discipling me in charismatic theology, and it it wrecked me a decent amount as I was not experiencing the gifts of tongues, and I was seeking them, man. I was seeking them, and that really messes with your faith is you question, well, what's God doing here? And, and it must be me because I know it's not him. And I, I was told um, by a coworker when I was in Portland, um, who was a charismatic believer who would be right up the alley with like Hillsong and Bethel. Uh, she was a Paula White uh, fan of pastor Paula White. And there's another thing is, is the, all of these movements are heavy into the female pastors, which that just shows you hermeneutically when we're at that level, we have lost our moorings because that one's, that's not hard. Um, and she told me, yeah, the, the poor believers in Africa, yeah, they don't have enough faith. That's why they're poor. It was very offensive to me because I, I was talking to her about the persecuted church. And that's one of the things that like a Hillsong uh, leader said, and this is in that article, that God, um, you do not have enough money. <clears throat> right. <laughs> I, yeah. I quite agree, but that's not a theological yeah. re- problem in my life. Yeah. That's a personal problem. Yeah, now that guy's not a pastor any longer. Um, Is he not? No, he's like in court. He's... he's. Oh, di- see, I don't even know who it was. Yeah, I it was just Brian, I know that one of them said it. Brian Houston, the head pastor of... Well, no longer the head pastor of Hillsong. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, so that's just a smattering of examples from what you get when you go to the most popular songs coming out of those places. Um, there's so much more. And, and not all of it is bad. I mean, it really isn't. Um, a lot of it really is praising Jesus, which is part of what makes this discussion so hard. Because if what I just read 
um, is the going rate for all the music coming out of there. I'm not sure the person asking this question would be asking this question. Um, there is some good stuff um, as far as content. But here's some further concerns. Um, it's massively, massively repetitious. Have you noticed that? No. 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 This is how I fight my battles. Did you see what I did there? No. Oh. Yeah. I do. That's well done. Can you do it again? No. No. When it looks like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. And that's literally the whole song. And I actually kind of like that song, yeah. so don't judge me. Well, that, and that's the, that's the thing is like <laughs> they they are super catchy, and and they do they do um, uh, work your emotions. That's which is that's another it. thing that you're gonna get to, I think. Um, you know, because I was I was a part of the um, charismatic movement. I actually attended Hillsong London for. Uh, you know, four or five months. So I was, wow. So you really know what you're talking about. I was, I was in the church more than me and my Amazon surfing. Yeah. So, I mean, and and it is catchy because these, these musicians are incredibly talented. I mean, these, they're, they're professional musicians. Yes. Um, and so, so they're, they're gifted at what they're, they do and it draws you in and, and the, the repetition of the music draws you in. Yes. Even just talking about it, I'm just I'm in the I'm in the zone right now. Um, so really, I, it hit me today that what it is is it's a contemporary musical version of revivalist theology, the kind of revivalism of like Charles Finney, um, where you 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 engineer the atmosphere in such a way that is it scientifically gets into the emotions um, by playing on the body. Because there is something about that repetition. And so for Finney, he would turn up the heat in his revival meetings to the point of sweat-inducing reactions from people. Um, And it really calls into question the authenticity of the experience. But then, uh, apart from that, because the the repetition, it really does. By the the 20th time you're singing this, you're in it. And and I don't care if you came from an Episcopal church of 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 the high liturgy and that's all you've ever known by the 20th time you're raising your hands yeah like you're there oh yeah you're getting there when it looks like no um (laughs) but but the theology behind why to do that Hmm. is really what's concerning and so more than the content it's i'm I'm equally concerned with what's not said Hmm. and why are things the way that they are What, what do you mean by that well, why do they engineer the music that way? It's because they believe that getting that this is the gateway into the, the um, an experience with God, um, and if we don't do it this way, that we are going to be missing the blessing. I mean, this is just an, an out explicit part of that theology. Um, something I hadn't really been aware of because I didn't ever read the, the couple of books I was given on worship in high school from, from that movement. Um, <laughs> there's, they actually make a distinction between praise and worship. Yeah. Um, that praise is a gateway. Of, it, the moment you start praising, God's presence shows up. And now there's a channel open in which we can, you know, X, Y, Z. To which I go, well, I, and this is why years ago I stopped praying, Lord, may your Holy Spirit 
come among us in a powerful way to prepare us for the work you're going to do. I don't pray that way anymore. Why? Because the response of God from Scripture is, I have sealed all of my people with the Holy Spirit. Why are you asking the Holy Spirit to show up? He's already there. Like, you're indwelt by him. Um, so stop asking him to come to a place he's he can't he's not going to be more there, you know he's already fully been given to us as an as a seal of our inheritance. Um, so those kind of things, Jerry, I think if we're tying it all together, they have a formative impact on the soul that I think is pretty dangerous. Do we go so far as to say you you can't listen to it? I don't think so. I would steer I would steer far afield from Bethel if I'm being honest. I just think it's so aberrant there that I don't want to touch what's coming out of there. Yeah. Um, and when it, and this isn't, again, it's not neutral. This is thoughts about God being proclaimed. Mm-hmm. Is that what we want to participate in proclaiming as we listen? Because mm-hmm. yeah. at least with secular stuff, I know what I'm getting. And I don't affirm yeah. all of it. It's not an affirmation thing. And sometimes the secular music can be actually more biblical than the Christian stuff that's coming out. <laughs> that's true. Have you listened to you too? <laughs> honestly, like honestly, like um, that. That's I, li- I love the case sometimes. So I thought about the Sermon on the Mount um, this morning, and I mean, okay. So you lead you lead music. Corporate singing is a major part of your life. I am a professional. So you think, in the sense that you get paid. <laughs> no, it's true. I told Katie. I told Katie that the other day, <laughs> that I'm, because the kids were making some sort of comment, so I looked over her and I said, "Yeah, well, I'm technically I'm a professional musician." <laughs> and of course, she laughed at me and because said, that's what she does. That's what she history. does. Yeah. Oh man, so, all the big moments. Like, and I laughed at myself too, because I knew that wasn't the case, but but it is. I get You're professionally, you get paid to do it. I get p- paid to try and play music, yes. <laughs> you do a good job. But Jesus, so um, you think about this, right? Is what we sing to the Lord part of our prayer life? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah it is. And so what does Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tell us? Um, when you pray, uh, do not... Do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. Assuredly, they may have their, uh, I tell you, they have their reward. Um, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, here's actually what I was getting at. Uh, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Mm. And I don't know of any other scripture that so directly applies to the kind of music that's coming out from, you know, these seeker-sensitive um, worship centers mm-hmm. than vain repetition. Mm-hmm. Because, I, I mean, I read the Psalms, right? Like the songs that God wrote, mm-hmm. the songs that the cherubim are singing in mm-hmm. Revelation, the songs of exaltation that, that are in the Bible. There's mm-hmm. actually a pretty, uh, pretty tight development to them, the way that, like, hymns develop. Mm-hmm in their theology they build they build yeah. and it doesn't mean there's not choruses i mean some of the some of the things we read in the new testament were early christian hymns mm-hmm. they were choruses but um but not to the degree that we're seeing from the music we're discussing today 
yeah. when you're repeating something. For you're like, well, that's a ten minute song, but really, if you didn't repeat it literally forty times, minutes. it would be a three minute song. If that, yeah. So yeah, I I based off my experience, there was one popular song coming out of Hillsong at that time. And it was building up to this one point where you were literally just saying, uh, and that was that was literally it. The, the whole song was leading up to this one point where you're singing that. And That's some deep theology. And it's, and it's you know, <laughs> three to five minutes of just repeating that that song. And, it's, it's, and then you look at the cherubim of Isaiah chapter 6, the, the angels in, in angels... The angels, the angels in Isaiah chapter six, yeah, and you see repetition there, right? Yeah, you see holy, holy, holy. It's a theological repetition. It's the Lord God Almighty, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. so I don't think I don't think repetition is necessarily bad, right? But it's it's the content of that repetition that's that's the, when the repetition becomes the substance, right? Rather than becoming a being a complement, right? Like the songs we sing. I mean, we sing choruses. Um, that are interspersed into verses, and by definition, a chorus is a hook. Like, you go back to it. And so we may be singing a chorus six times, but it's a complement to the message and a vehicle rather than becoming the substance. And I think that's such an important distinction to keep in mind. Um, Because, I don't, dude, if you're chanting, oh, like, it's going to do something with you in your experience as a worshiper. And the thing is, that may be the height of worship for somebody in a service like that or in their own car. But what have they been responding to in worship? Well, it's not truth. What, tr- what truth, I beg you to tell me, are we extolling God based on when we're saying, like it, that is a lack of substance. There's nothing there to respond to. Oh. Yeah, so you know, thinking thinking about some of the songs that you you were just uh, reading there, some of the, some of the lyrics that you just read, I, this is probably the greatest hymn that has been written in the last hundred years, and it's in Christ alone, right? Mm-hmm. So in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest trout and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. I mean, this this second verse is incredible. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Mm. Here in the death of Christ I live. Yes. And you think about those lyrics compared to some of the lyrics that you were just reading, and and you see where the heart of worship is at in this compared to that. Yeah. It's... Right. It's this is this is directly going back to to Christ and, and what he accomplished on our behalf, and where that's going to i i i'm gonna you're gonna do these things for me because i'm i'm believing or i'm doing this or i'm doing that you know um the we we specifically choose the songs that we do here at sun valley church Mm -hmm. because we're putting the glory of christ on display that that's the goal is we're we're trying to shape 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 the church uh through the songs that we're singing Mm -hmm. And the songs that we are singing are are pointing 
people back to Christ. The hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. And so, um, I don't know. I went on a tangent there. But no, it's a go good ahead. tangent. It's not a tangent. I mean, these are just, we don't have an order of questions. We're just kind of having a discussion about yeah. this one question. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about the rep- the repetitive, essentially, it's kind of like a mantra. And mantras um, have a very uh, particular place in Eastern pantheistic religions. Um, They work, they work you up to an experience, an ecstatic Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And when your worship music, and again, when the the music you're listening to, it will shape you. Um, And that's why we have to be, we have to be careful um, with whatever we're listening to. And you and I just, and I think you and I know that. I think all of our listeners probably know that. Sure. And and you and I are on record saying we mostly don't listen to Christian music. Yeah. So I'm not. This isn't a anti secular, you know, boogeyman argument. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is biblical. But um, we do need to be careful, especially with our songs that are directly about God, because right. they have a unique role right. to play right. in the formation of our souls. And when those songs have more in common with Eastern religions in the mode mm-hmm. of how they communicate than they do with the rich Christian tradition of church history. Well, uh, well maybe let's rethink that for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think either you or I are saying it, it is sin to listen to this. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't think that at all. Sure. But I think greatest caution right. and maybe worth passing on right. altogether because the risks... The, the benefits out are outweighed by the risks yeah. pretty generously in my mind. Yeah. But I think be fully convinced in your own mind and right. search the scriptures. <laughs> you know, as, as you were just talking about the, the, the relation to what we're seeing in, in modern worship and to Eastern mysticism, I think it was Justin Peters. I think I could be wrong, but when MacArthur had the strange fire conference back in 2013 or 14, whatever that was, um, I think it was Justin Peters, who is a paraplegic, and he went to a lot of these churches, a lot of these faith healers, charismatic churches, uh, seeking to be healed, and this was, you know, before he was reformed and and whatnot, and and he just experienced just great grief from from not being healed, not having enough faith, not having X, Y, and Z, Um, but he gets into the details of what you were just mentioning of this this relation to eastern mysticism and and actually about a lot of what we're seeing in in the worship um in in modern evangelicalism today and it was very interesting and I, it's during the strange fire conference i can't remember if it's justin peters or not um but i think it is him but that's it that was a it's worthwhile listen mm, on it's good on worship and and modern evangelicalism today so well church we've taken 40 plus minutes of your time to talk about music hopefully it wasn't too repetitious no it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) do we know what we're talking about next week uh i think we do well we have we have a list here Um, have we actually gotten so far as to to pick one? We haven't, no. Oh. That's that's Well, stay podcast. tuned for 
take us out, Rick. Only God knows what we're talking about next week because he is omniscient. He is provident. He is triune. He is glorious. He is the attributes that we discussed. He is worthy. And really, that's what we want to extol in our worship. He is worthy. And he is worthy of songs that are worthy of being sung. Mm -hmm. And he's given us a rich treasure of scripture to guide how we think about that. So go learn to sing the Psalms. God bless you. And we'll see you on Sunday. Mm -hmm.